My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Uh, today we wrap up our series called The Heart of Mercy. Uh, as I said, next week is going to be a celebration service. But today I want to finish the last of the messages that we've been talking about. We began a number of weeks ago by giving an overview of mercy. And I started by saying this, mercy simply is love in action. Mercy is love in action. Mercy is not just talking about loving someone. Mercy isn't just thinking about helping someone. Mercy is actually doing it. I know you have this. I have this. We'll be driving along. We'll be walking along. We'll be on the journey of life and we'll see someone in need. We'll think, oh, I could do that. Maybe God brings something to our mind. It's like, yeah, I really need to do that. And then we forget to do it or we miss the opportunity. Mercy isn't just having a good heart for people. Mercy is actually doing something about it. Mercy is love in action. And what we did was we defined mercy according to these five understandings of primarily how God did it for us and then now we're to do it to others. We, we said this, a merciful, merciful person. First of all, a merciful person forgives those who have fallen. Pastor Kevin started this series off by talking about that story, the unforgiving servant. And the bottom line of the story is God is saying that he forgave us of everything so we can't withhold forgiveness, that we must forgive others or we do not understand how much God has forgiven us. We do not understand the implications of God's forgiveness in our life if we withhold it. And then we saw that merciful people help those who are hurting. I shared about the parable, the good Samaritan, Jesus said, where we just need to see people that are in need, stop what we're doing and serve them in the moment with whatever we have in our hands, whatever we've got uh, available to us. And that's the story. Everybody we see, everybody we come in contact with is a neighbor and there are needs all around us and we help people when they're hurting. Then we looked at the fact that merciful people are patient with difficult people. And um, man, we have a lot of difficult people at sunrise. Somebody point to someone who's difficult. No. Um, see, you're supposed to point to yourself. Okay. Uh, you need to come to church more. Okay. Um, you know, the thing is, is that we, we all have difficult people. When we're serving someone, we're shocked initially that, that they're lashing out and they're in pain and they're oozing out. They're hurt. But that's how it is. Hurt people hurt people. And so there's a lot of difficulty in life. And when we serve people, it may not go the way we want. And so we've got to have this heart to help people and, and, and be loving to people and merciful to people, even when they're difficult. And then we ratcheted that up and we said, well, merciful people are kind to enemies. That it's not something we often think about, but there are people that don't like us. There are people that are opposed to us. Maybe some racial reconciliation needs to occur in our hearts and our lives. Maybe some social, maybe some uh, something at work or something at school. There are people that stand opposed to us. There are a lot of people in this world that won't like you. They just won't like you. Maybe nobody likes 
them either. I don't really know. But there are people out there that are opposed. And we, for the most part, live in a culture that, you know, unlike others around the world, we're not attacked, truly attacked, because we're believers. Our churches aren't blown up. People aren't killed for faith in Christ. But we still have enemies. The Bible says if you're not in the family of God, then then you stand opposed to God even. And, And we lash out and we work that out in some pretty horrific ways as human beings. But mercy really is being kind to enemies. That's how Jesus said it. Now, the cool thing about all these is that this is how God did it for us. That's why we're to do it for others. This isn't just something God says, you go do it. He modeled it. He stepped into first place and did this for us. He forgave us when we had sinned against him. He served us and helped us when we were hurting. The good Samaritan, that's Jesus. We're dying on the side of the road. He picked us up and healed us. God was patient with us when we were difficult. God was kind to us when we were his enemy. And today we're going to see that merciful people as an ultimate act of mercy care for the lost. And I would, I, would, I would urge you to think of it this way. The most merciful thing that you and I could ever do for someone is to introduce them to Jesus. The one who can heal and save them. That's the most merciful thing. Yes, we can give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. We can give a a warm power bar in Jesus' name. We can give a bowl of soup in Jesus' name. We can feed someone. We can close someone. We can get a place to live. We can surround them with friends. That's all important. But the deepest need of every human heart is a relationship with God. And the most merciful thing you or I could ever do is introduce that person to Jesus. And today we're going to see how that fleshes out in one of the stories of the gospel. But before we get there a couple thoughts. First of all, Jesus is praying in John chapter 17 uh, on his way to the cross, uh, as it were, the night before he was um, go to, to go to the cross. And he prays this thing called the high priestly prayer, where he prayed for the disciples and ultimately for us because we've believed through them. And he says to the Father, he says, in the same way you gave me a mission in the world. Now think about that, a mission in the world. God sent Jesus into the world so that the world would be saved. The world would have the connection. Jesus himself said that, you know, the way, the truth, the life, that's me. And I'm the only way to the father. The disciples later stood up and said in public, and they just said, there's only one way to get to God. And that's through the father. So God sent Jesus on a mission to reach people. Now, ultimately to die for people on the cross to cover our sins. So in the same way, he says, you gave me a mission in the world. I give them a mission in the world. Now, I firmly believe this, that Everybody should have a ministry and that ministry should encompass something in the church, outside the church. But the idea of a ministry is you're serving people the way God has shaped you. And maybe it's women's ministry, children's ministry, youth ministry. Uh, maybe it's, you know, working on homes ministry, serving at the cafe. I mean, I, I don't really know. Parking ministry. There are tons of ministries. The food ministry. There's a lot. You need to have a ministry because that brings us fulfillment. But you need to have a mission. Because it gives you purpose. You have been given a mission according to Jesus. Jesus said that night, he said, God, Father God, in the same way that you sent me into the world on a mission, I am now sending them. That means that you just heard that and you do not need to ask if God's going to send you on a mission because he already has. He has sent you on a mission to tell more people about this saving message through Jesus. Jesus himself said, you and I now were to go and to declare this openly to everybody. We are to go and make disciples. That doesn't mean that, well, church is about coming and sitting. I mean, there are times you sit. There are times you sing. There are times you listen to long-winded sermons. There's times for all that, okay? I get all that, all right? 
But the point of all this is so you can go out those doors and you can be on mission for Jesus. When you leave these doors, you are on the mission field. That's where you're going. could be your family. could be your friends. It could be your school or your workplace. But wherever you go this week, you can see yourself on mission for Jesus Christ. That you are a missionary and God has sent you out. Question, is anybody going to heaven because of you? Is anybody going to heaven because of you? Have you told anybody about Jesus? Have you been on mission? Have you fulfilled your mission by declaring Jesus Christ is Lord? That all the world that we have fallen, we have fallen very far short of the perfect standard. That we're all corrupted by sin. And it's only Jesus that has paid for that price on the cross. And by coming into a relationship with him, that clears us of our sin. It wipes us slate clean because Jesus paid for it on the cross. And now we receive God's spirit inside of us and we are connected with God and we are changed. I mean, we get heaven. Yeah, that's great. That's future. But today we're changed and we are now on a new path in our lives. Is anybody doing that because you did it for them? I mean, somebody shared it with you, right? Somebody told you, who are you sharing it with, with others? I was telling, um, my wife the other day, I said, you know, um, I appreciate the shrams. And um, I was saying, you know, we we're talking about our sons and how um, Paul in particular uh, is pouring into them. And, and yeah, Taylor, that's good. Love you too. Um, but um, uh, but there, there's, a, there's a connection, you know what I mean, right now. And, and I said, you know what? The, the cool thing is, is I'm witnessing, I'm witnessing, I'm an observer of the fact that um, men are pouring into my young men. Just like Doug Rowland poured into me, just like Doug Bradley poured into me, just like Dorothy James poured into me when I was a high school student, far from God. These people, I'm, I'm witnessing the future people my children are going to talk about that were influential. Have you done that for anybody? Have you dis- declared the wonderful message of God to anybody? Have you introduced anybody to Jesus? Have you prayed with anybody to receive Christ? Have you been bold in your faith to someone to the point that they could look at you and say, Hey, I'm here in a relationship with God because of you. And they declare you. Could anybody point to you and say, you know, this is the person that loved me and cared for me and showed that kind of mercy to me. And so much so that I responded to the message and I'm now in the family of God. My sins are forgiven. I'm given an eternal home with God because of your name, fill in the blank. Because if not, then I think you're probably like the average Christian. We just don't share the story. We've received it, but we're holding on to it. I know this is going to sound pretty harsh, but we're the beggar that's found food, but we're holding on to it ourselves and we're not giving it to anybody else. God didn't give it to you. So you were just the, the bucket to be poured into. He gave it to you so you could be the conduit to pour it out to others. Can anybody point to you and say, because of Fill in the blank, your name. I am now in heaven. I am now a follower of Jesus. Because you have been given a ministry in the church, but you've been given a mission in the world. And to fulfill that mission, you've got to go and you've got to live a life that declares Jesus. In fact, Peter says it this way. It's a, it's a really cool uh, text. First Peter, he, uh, the, one of the early followers of Jesus and a leader in the church said, You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Now, I want to tell you, this is a kind of a step one, step two thing. It's really important. Peter says, first of all, you've got to put Jesus first. All right. 
that means you're not in charge, that Jesus is first. So you've got to put Jesus as the leader, as the boss of your life. You've got to set apart Jesus as Lord. That means that he directs your steps. He declares where you go. You're on mission for him, not for yourself, right? I know you got a job. I know you go to school. I know you've got retirement. I get all that stuff. But you are here because Jesus has sent you somewhere and he is now the one calling the shots. So first of all, you must worship Jesus as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. And that's important because as you live with Jesus as Lord of your life, people are going to look at you and go, man, that that chick's weird. That dude is freaky. You know, there's something weird about him. They get calm in situations that everybody freaks out all the stress in the world. I see how their marriage is, is, you know, going through some stuff, but man, they're leaning on Jesus. I see their kids, their kids are going through stuff, but they're pulling together as followers of Jesus. I've got to find out what's going on. Is anybody witnessing your family and watching your family and going, I wish I had a family like that. I wish, I wish I could know how to treat my spouse like that. Uh, You're a single person. Uh, Is anybody watching you go, you know, that person, the way they define their sexuality and express, you know, their sexuality is different than what everybody else is doing. I want to know why you're doing it that way. Is, is anybody saying that person is truly putting Jesus first? And if so, then your life is different enough that people are going to go, man, why are you weird? I want to be weird too, because that's cool. You know, there's difference. There's something going on. You have a faith I don't have. You must put Jesus first, and then people will start asking you, what is up with your life, right? You're not perfect, not even close. None of us are, right? But we live in such a way that people will ask us, now, what, what, what is it that's about your life? What is it that, what, why, why do you speak the way you do? Is anybody asking you about the hope that you have? I mean, I hope you're not one of those Christians that says, I don't really have to declare Jesus. I just live it. You know, I, I'm a lifestyle evangelist taking it the wrong way going. I just live my life loving God and people see Jesus in me. I don't have to tell them the story. I've heard people say that I'm not called to witness. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a pastor. I just live a good life and people see Jesus in me. That's kind of arrogant. If you think about it, what you're basically saying is I live such an awesome, perfect life that people, I don't even have to tell them. They just fall down on their knees to Jesus because of the way I live. I just walk by and people just declare Jesus as Lord, just by the way I walk to the microwave at the staff lounge. Seriously? We got to tell people about Jesus. We've been given a mission in the world. And when we set Jesus as Lord, people are going to ask, what is up, doc? All right. I want to know more about your life. We are to give a reason for the hope that we have. But God doesn't tell us to do this alone. I love this little side thing that, G, uh, that, that Paul says about this relationship with Jesus and how he has partners in the gospel. And he says that a lot. And when he writes these letters to churches, your partners in the gospel, he says this in 1 Corinthians, we work together as partners who belong to God. Evangelism is not an individual sport. It's a team sport. It's where we come together and we share Jesus together. Paul had Barnabas. In fact, Barnabas had Paul and then Paul became the the leader. And there was Silas and there was Timothy and there was Luke. And you can read about their little band of merry adventurers going all around the Aegean Sea in the book of Acts. And they didn't do it as a solo sport. They did it together as a team sport. And Paul looks at them and goes, hey, we got Apollos and we've got Priscilla. We've got Aquila. We've got Luke following. We got all these people. We 
together our partners in this thing called evangelism. And I believe one of the greatest ways you could do it today, practically speaking, is with your small group, with your friends and the relationships that God has put around you. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about five ways your small group can care for the lost. Now, if you're not in a small group, um, you can leave now. No, if you're not in a small group afterwards, go get in a small group because again, don't be a lone ranger Christian. My friends, we need each other. It, whatever that small group looks like, it could be your family. It could be a, a literal small group that you're in. My wife and I are in a small group on Wednesday nights. It could be an accountability group. It could be an activity group, whatever it is, your group of friends that are followers of Christ. Here are some ways that you can together be a witness for Jesus Christ and get your friends to Jesus. Now I want to use this story. And the story shows up in a couple gospels. We'll see it in Luke. The verses will be on the screen, but it's this amazing story about these friends who care enough about their friend who's paralyzed. They get him to Jesus. All right. So let's see this. And I want to show you some things. First of all, it's more of an outline, but the story is going to flow through and I'll share a couple points. No, number one, we got to have a heart for people. We've got to care through compassion. We have to truly love people that are lost, that are hurting and broken. This is the story. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. Story is, if you don't know it, is that as Jesus comes on the scene, he teaches and preaches, he heals, he does all these miraculous things, drives out demons. You know, that means he works in junior high ministry, Taylor. And, um, and so he does all that stuff and people take notice, including the religious people. It's like, well, I got to figure this guy out because he's taken some of our territory. He's honing in on our authority. So they, you know, kind of come around the edges of the building inside the room of this house. And they want to, they want to trip him up is really what we see later on and condemn him, which they finally do falsely. So they're there filling up the room, but other people are there. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus and Jesus is doing the miraculous. And now look at how this continues to develop. It says some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. Now I'm going to say there are four guys. We do not know how many there are. I know there, there could have been two. All right. Um, there could have been six if he was a big paralyzed man. Um, but you know, there were some friends. So let's just say four. We don't know. Maybe we'll find out one day in heaven, but I'll say four guys. All right. It could be four gals. It, it could be, you know, four teenagers. I, contextualize it for yourself, but you have some friends that have gathered around one friend in particular that's hurting. Maybe this week you've already encountered one of your friends that's hurting again, a school or work or someplace. And you've discovered somebody is hurting and your friends surround them. This is the story. One day, some men come carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat because Jesus is healing and teaching and the power of God is on him. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. They were trying to get in, but there were too many people to get in. So the story goes, they left disappointed and their friend left paralyzed the rest of his life and died. No, that's not a good story. Okay. This is a true story. And Jesus shows up in power. Look how it goes on. It says this. So they went up to the roof. It took cooperation, my friends. It took compassion. They had to care about their friend, but they had to cooperate in order to accomplish this because one guy doesn't let another guy on a roof, right? Okay. Now the construction of the homes in that day, uh, simple homes, not, not very many square feet. You can go to Northern Galilee today and see one of the towns that's been reconstructed from the second century. And you can stand there. You can get up on the roof. You can see how they were made. 
simple that blocks, some timbers, not a lot of trees in that area. And then you would put the thatched kind of roof. You'd put the, the leaves. You'd put the branches up. You'd put dirt. You'd put mud. You'd roll it. You'd harden it. And that would be something you could stand on. And it was hot. If it was something at night you wanted to sleep, you'd sleep out up there. You know, in those days, your animals would sleep in the house with you. Prized possessions, they'd sleep up there with you. So it was possible to stand up on a roof. So one of the guys, perhaps, we don't know, maybe all of them, like, I got a crazy idea. We can't get them in through the door or the window. There's too many people in there. Those darn Pharisees, they, they should just leave and give us more space, right? They don't even like Jesus anyway. Let's go up on the roof. You're like, on the roof? Jesus is in the house. Well, they take them up and then they, they take off some tiles and they lower the sick man on his mat down in the crowd right in front of Jesus. I love this story. These guys did whatever it took to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus. I mean, think about this. Think about this. In fact, close your eyes right now and think about this. Picture a small little home, just a few hundred square feet, 12 by 12, 18 by 18. And all of a sudden you get there, you've heard that Jesus is in town and you grab your friends. You go, Jesus is in town. Let's get our friend. Let's get this guy. He's hurting. He's paralyzed. He can't move. Let's, we go and we go and, hey, Jesus is in town. We get him on the mat. We carry him over there. We rushing him through town. Slow down. Don't want to drop him. We're getting there and we're excited and we're telling our friend, Jesus can do it. I've heard about Jesus. I've seen Jesus do it. He's done all kinds of things. You're going to get to Jesus. We're going to carry you. This is, this is what we do. We love you. And you get there and it's just so full. You can't get in the house. You're trying, you can't get in there and you decide this is not going to work. We've got to find a new way. And some of you comes up with a crazy idea. Let's carry him up, hoist him up on the roof. Don't drop him on, you know, get him up there, lie him down. And we got to tear through the roof. And as you begin to tear through the roof, you're not thinking about who's going to pay for this. Who's going to rebuild this. It doesn't matter because your paralyzed friend needs to get to Jesus and they need to get right in front of Jesus. And so all of a sudden, as you tear through the, the little crumbles, start falling, you know, onto the floor there and, and onto Jesus hair and everybody else. And everybody stops. And then there's like a little break of light coming through the sun shining through. Now, all the conversation is, is stopped as you finish tearing through the part of the roof and you lower your friend down, not head first, but down, 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 right in front of Jesus and you lower him right in front of Jesus. Open your eyes, my friends. That's how much you love your friend because your friend is paralyzed. He will die paralyzed and you know there's a Jesus who can heal him and you only have one thing on your heart and mind is I got to do whatever it takes to get my friend to Jesus because if Jesus just touches him if Jesus just says the word he could heal him from this thing that is stopping him from being complete and whole like he was and you love your friend that much it takes a lot of cooperation and so they did this I mean think about this for me figure out whatever you love doing and involve friends um Maybe oh, I've got some friends. We go bowling and um, you could pray for their patience as I bowl because I don't usually break 100 or 150, but I have fun. We actually bowling is an excuse to eat nachos, um, but that's another story. And so we go down to four seasons and we go bowling and and we'll bring people in. It's, it's one of our ways we've brought people in. Guys, we bring guys in and bowl with them. We just share our life. What do you love to do? Find out what you love to do. Grab some friends and do that. Invite lost people in the middle of it. Talking after service. I, I, I love to work on cars. I love to, you know, cut sheet metal. I love to weld. I love to do electronics. I love to restore things that are broken. I love to do that. Well, you know, I, I, I'm doing that with some friends. I need to do it with some lost friends and just work together. We need to find whatever we love to do and do that with people that are far from God. Get enough friends to get them in the middle and introduce them to Jesus, the deeper need that they have. We've got to care through cooperation. 
Then we've got to care through faith. I love this part of the story. It's so cool. It says here, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. For years, I read that story and I just missed it. Jesus didn't look at the paralyzed guy's faith. It doesn't even say he had faith. All right. He had enough faith to let the friends take him up and lower him down. But the friends had faith. Now, I don't know how this works theologically, but do you have enough faith to see your friend come to Jesus? Because Jesus in this story honored their faith and this guy was healed. Are you praying for your lost friends? Oh, back up. Do you have any lost friends? Do you have any people that are far from God? Joe Aldrich wrote this. He wrote Lifestyle Evangelism, Gentle Persuasion, some great books about sharing your faith. He was the president of Multnomah for many years before he passed away. And Joe, Dr. Joe said it this way. He said, you know, sadly, statistically speaking, um, within 18 months of becoming a follower of Christ, you lose all your non-Christian friends. Because you want to hang out with Christians. I get that. I was coming from Bend uh, yesterday, driving over the past gorgeous, beautiful place, stopped at the rest stop there. And as I pull in, there's like 50 bikers, you know, leather and Harleys and everything. I'm like, this is awesome. Of course, I'm driving a minivan, so I was a little embarrassed. Um, You know, I didn't have any leather on, you know what I mean? And so, but I'm thinking, you know, as I'm walking around, I'm saying, what if one of those guys comes to Christ? In 18 months, will they not have any biker friends left? Odds are that's true, which is really tragic. Because we lose all contact with the lost. We lose all contact with people that are far from God. Because I get it. We want to be in a small group. We want to serve. We want to do this stuff. We start using Christian words and singing Christian songs. And, you know, God forbid, go to church and hear a guy speak for 35, 40 minutes, right? And, and we get into that and we love it. And then all of a sudden, we're so disconnected from people that are far from God. We've got to never lose sight of where we were and go after people and continue to build those relationships and not leave them. Because if we don't do that, how are we ever going to go back to those that we know and love and share the message of Jesus with them? We've got to cooperate, but it, it, it takes cooperation and we've got to have compassion and we've got to act and we've got to have faith in all of this. The reality is we can't do it alone. We can't do it alone, my friends. We need other believers in the mix to share this story and to share this faith with. And that means we have to be hanging out with people that are far from God, building friendships and deep relationships and truly caring for them and not considering a person a notch that, oh, they prayed a prayer. I get a notch. I want to the next person. No, 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 no. These are people that you and I should dearly love because Father God dearly loves them. They're made in the image of God. No matter how marred or broken or, you know, whatever's going on on the outside or the inside, God loves them and he wants us to have a real heart for them. So another question, not just, is anybody going to heaven because of you, but do you have any friendships with lost people? Really? Far from God people? That would never darken the door of a church. That you would say, okay, out of all my friends, this one will never come to Jesus. Do you know that person in a deep way? Otherwise, how are they going to hear? How are they going to see? How are they going to find Jesus if you don't go build a real friendship with them? Now, I know it's tough. For a pastor, it's tough. I mean, I I spend all day with with Christians, you know. Everybody on staff is a Christian, except Heather. Taylor and I are still worried. Um, Heather Brown. But, um, you know, just teasing. Um, You know, everything I do, I, I meet with Christians. And that's, that's great. It's part of my job. I counsel Christians. I, I know that I love it. But I don't get out as much as I would like to. And my heart longs to, to quit my job and go work at Starbucks and pull shots just so I can hang out with lost people. You know? Just, just to go do that, right? So that I can actually be like you guys. 
You know, or maybe not. Maybe you don't know any lost people. Maybe you've isolated your friends. And now all of you have are Christians. How are we going to do this if we don't know people that are far from God? Do we really have faith that God will use us and put us in those relationships? Let me wrap up the story and share a couple points here. The rest of the stories, but the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Look at the rest of it. Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven? In other words, they're going, yeah, anybody can go like, your sins are forgiven. Anybody can say that, right? And Jesus says, okay, let's put this to test. Is it easier to say that or to say, pick up your bed and walk? Look what he says. He says, stand up and walk. So I prove to you, I will prove to you that the son of man, that's himself, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up. Pick up your mat and go home. And look at this. Immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. And they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. See, the bottom line is, they cared through action. They actually did something about it. Do you love your lost friends enough to actually do something about it? We've got to care through action. We've got to have faith. We've got to be willing to do whatever it takes to get our lost friends to Jesus. My friends, people around you, all around you are paralyzed. Maybe not physically paralyzed. They're paralyzed by fear. They're paralyzed uh, by the the roles and responsibility of life. They're paralyzed uh, maybe relationally. They're paralyzed economically. They're paralyzed in so many ways. The enemy of our very soul, the Bible says, paralyzes people. And you know Jesus. And if you were to take faith and action and grab your friends and say, let's go. Not get a project. Let's go get this person who desperately needs Jesus. Let's find a way to get him right in front of Jesus. We'll lower him in front of Jesus and let Jesus do what Jesus can only do. And Jesus does it and your lives are changed and your friend's life is changed. We have got to care through action. Colossians 4, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, we are to live in such a way that we live wisely wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. We are to live lives this day, this week with wisdom and prayer. We are to go into the day. We're to wake up in the morning and go, God, give me wisdom. Help me make every opportunity for you. I want to not miss opportunities. I want to see you moving in a person's heart. I want to be sensitive to the people that are hurting and broken and there's some paralysis and their, their intention or transition or trouble and they're struggling and I just want to be, I want to be your conduit God, I want to serve that person and so help me to be wise and make the most of every opportunity God, I don't want to miss an opportunity that you have put right in front of me. Sad truth is most Christians are just secret agent believers and nobody knows. Jesus says this in Luke 14 at the end of a story he says, so go into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge Anyone you find to come so that my house will be full. Bottom line is God wants his house full. Now, I'm not talking about church. That'd be great. If every one of us in this next month reached out to one person, they came to Christ, we double great. No big deal. Okay. It's not about us. All right. Okay. We need to add more parking spots, which that costs money. Um, But what a nice problem to have, you know, but God wants his family full. And if he has sent you and he has out on a mission to reach someone, And you don't go out in the highways and byways and you don't urge and compel people to come in. Then you've forgotten the very mission 
you've been left on earth to fulfill. And that is to bring other people into the family of God. My friends, nothing in the world compares with the thrill of helping a friend settle his or her eternal destiny. I know I've had the privilege of doing it time and time again, and I'm not an evangelist. I just open my heart, open my eyes, and open my mouth, and I tell people about Jesus, and it's the power of the gospel that does it. Finally, it's this idea of of perseverance and persistence. We've got to not give up. We've got to care. I mean, just think about this in the story. They didn't let, you know, the friend lying on the ground, lie on the ground. They didn't let the people crowding in the house stop them. They didn't even let the thickness of the roof stop them. They did whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. Now think about this. Who are you willing to tear through the roof to get to Jesus? Who are you willing to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus? You know, Jesus is waiting In fact, this is how Peter says it. He says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, that the promise is to come back and return. We pray that Jesus comes back and returns. Yeah, but he's not really being slow. And for Peter, it was a few years, decades, it's 2,000 years for us. Because there's a reason why he waits. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. See, the Bible tells us this through the book of Revelation, is that one day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge the earth. And if your name is not found in his, the Lamb of God, that's what he's called, the Lamb's book of life, which is only written there when you receive this message of Jesus, then you will be cast into eternity with Satan and his angels into a place called the Lake of Fire that was created for Satan and his angels, not for us. But we go there because if we rejected Christ, if we reject Christ, that's where we go. But if we receive him, we go to eternity with him. We would call that heaven, but it's literally God's going to rebuild this earth and restore it. And we're with him here. We either go to one place or the other. That's how the, the Bible says it. And the end of this life is the end of it because we will all live forever somewhere. And as we say a lot, you know, perfect people don't go to heaven because there are no perfect people. Forgiven people go to heaven and you can be forgiven of your sins and enter into a brand new relationship with God through Jesus. And you can be restored and the paralysis and all the sickness and all those things. God can work on those things and he can make you an example and you can be a witness to others. But this life is the life we get, my friends. And when we die, the decisions we've made in this life determine the rest of our eternity. And so that's the question. Why is Jesus not returning? Because he wants you and me to go out there and get more people. I am so, so glad. I am so glad that Jesus didn't return November of 1979 because I wouldn't have made it. I was a lost 15-year-old kid. I was lost. But in December of 1979, I prayed to receive Jesus Christ. And my life was radically changed. I've never been disappointed. It's taken me on the wildest adventures. I never in my wildest dream would have imagined I'd be a pastor standing on a platform preaching to people. Never imagined that. But Jesus will do whatever he wants to do with your life if you just give it to him. And you let him be in charge and he will take you on the craziest adventures. But he's wanting you to go tell people. In fact, he's urging you, he's sending you on a mission to go tell people. Greg Laurie is an evangelist pastor, cool guy, bald, but really cool. And um, he has a series called Tell Someone. And as a staff, I took our staff through this evangelism training. It's really good. If you need a small group material curriculum, please call us. We'll get you Tell Someone. This is a little three and a half minute clip that was shared in one of the stories. It just deeply gripped me and I want to share it with you. You know, I think it's safe to say that we can assume certain things about all people, no matter who they are, no matter 
how old they are or young they are, if they're men, if they're women, where they live. These things are true of every person. Number one, everyone, deep down inside, they're empty. Why is that? Well, the Bible actually says that God made his creation, that's us, subject to emptiness. You might say that we're sort of born with a hole in our heart. In fact, the Bible says God has said eternity in our hearts. We're born with this sense that there's more to life than what we're experiencing now. Everyone is empty. I'm talking about the guy cruising down the boulevard in the brand new Bentley. I'm talking about the movie star. I'm talking about the person no one has ever heard of. I'm talking about the intellectual. I'm talking about whoever, wherever. Everyone is empty deep down inside. Number two, everyone's lonely. It's a deep loneliness inside of us. And I think that's really, when you get down to it, a loneliness for God himself. That's why when people get married and even when they have children, they think that's going to fill the void in their life and it doesn't. You know, when you're single, you say, oh man, if I was married, I'd be happy. And then you get married and you'd say, oh man, if we just had children, I'd be happy. And you have children. And you'd say, if we could just get rid of these children, I'd be happy. And maybe I married the wrong person. If I married another person, I'd be happy. And on it goes, there's this loneliness really for God himself. Number three, everyone is guilty. We have a sense that when we do something wrong, well, it's wrong. God's built that into us. It's sort of like the fire alarm, you know. It's very sensitized. And God gives us a conscience. Now, we can harden our conscience, But we're born with a conscience and we know that we're guilty. We feel guilt because we're guilty because we've all sinned. Here's another thing that's true of every person. Everyone is afraid to die. There's a universal fear of death. We may laugh at death. We may make jokes about death or we may never talk about death. But deep down inside, we're aware of our mortality and we're aware that one day this life will come to an end. Everyone is empty, everyone is lonely, everyone is guilty, and everyone is afraid to die. But here's the good news. God is a solution to all of those things. First of all, Christ can fill the void in a person's life when he himself comes and takes residence inside of them. Christ can be that forever friend that will never leave you or forsake you, as he himself said. And wherever you go in life, you know you're not alone. You know that God is with you. And Christ, of course, can forgive the sin that produces the guilt so you get to the real issue instead of the mere symptom and finally if you put your faith in jesus christ you can know that you will live forever jesus said i am the resurrection and the life he that believes in me though he were dead yet shall he live and whosoever believes in me shall never die Yeah, that's what we know about everyone, and we have the answer. We've got to get the gospel to people, and we need to get on with this. Not hesitate, not procrastinate, but engage people. Listen, the good news is only good if it gets there on time. As we bow our heads, um, and my friends, who do you know that's lost? Truly, as, as as you think about this, your neighbors that are far from God. Who do you know that's spiritually separated from God? Who do you know that needs to follow Jesus? There are a lot of things that we can do this week that will matter for our week, but will they matter for eternity? Most of the things we do won't even matter in 10 years, but sharing the message of Jesus will matter for eternity. This will pay dividends in someone's life, eternal life, for so many lives to come. 
most important thing that we could do with our lives is take the privilege of sharing the message of Jesus. Father, I pray that every one of us here today would take up that call to reach our paralyzed friends, those that are spiritually separated, that are hurting and broken, and that we will take the commitment to heart of actually sharing Christ with them. It could be a neighbor, a friend, a relative, a coworker, classmate, whoever, that we will be bold with the faith, Lord, because we don't save anybody. We don't open hearts. It's what you do. And so may we be faithful to do that. Nobody is hopelessly beyond your love and reach. Father, someone reached out to us, and I pray we would be the people that would reach out and love enough our friends and neighbors and our coworkers and classmates and the people we just encounter at the store to share the love of Jesus with them. We pray all this in your name. Amen.